This episode is from a series of classes where Shakti Durga is reading from her book, Spiritual Mastery. In the class, she makes reference to the Tao, Chinese philosophy, meaning way or path. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. Hello, today we're looking at Hallmark 4 of a person who's quite self-mastered, self-realized. And Hallmark number 4 is that there are many paths and many different levels of truth. Truth, it's like beauty. It lies in the eye of the beholder. What's truth to one person is just not truth to another. Some people believe that you can only get to infinite consciousness if you're a member of their particular spiritual group or religious sect. This belief blinds people to all of the wonderful and enlightened people and uplifting, beneficial ideas from people of other faiths or of no faith. Some religious groups don't even respect other groups in their own religious stream, denouncing them even though they read the same holy books. So Christians or Jews or Muslims, they're all descendants of the one man, Abraham. One can find people in any religion who believe that theirs is the only way, and it's the same with philosophies. My philosophy is the only way. This view throughout history has led to persecutions, to wars, and the justification of violence against those who don't share the particular religion or philosophy of those in power. It justifies the negation of our free will for non-believers who, for their own good, are forced to adopt the dominant creed. When a religion is imposed through force, the level of truth in operation in how the religion is being applied, in my view, is very low. You've got to ask yourself, how did such fracturing of unity, disrespect and competitiveness take root? The answer is pretty simple. If mankind was evolved and self-realized already, we would not need spiritual philosophies, paths or religions. We would already have attained the things that they're set up to teach. But that's not the case. And people get stuck in their limited consciousness and their lower vibrational paradigms where competitiveness, one up, one down kinds of attitudes prevail. It's called the lower nature or egoic consciousness. And it's what we're overcoming in our quest for spiritual self-mastery. Without the many paths that exist on earth to cater for different kinds of people in different cultures, we'd most likely never make it. The human mind is keen to find differences. The soul, on the other hand, wants to find similarities. And spirituality exists for the nurturing of souls. Truth is never absolute. Our understanding of truth alters as our consciousness alters. It expands and grows. At each level of growth, we can find some fellow travellers who share the same truth that we do. 
We co-create our journey with those people, creating a spiritual community within which to explore ideas and continue to evolve and grow. There's an infinite number and variety of levels of consciousness, insight and awareness in individuals. When really good ideas and brilliant, revolutionary new teachings are brought to earth by the great avatars of the past, like Lord Jesus or Lord Buddha or Lao Tzu, the teaching starts off very pure. It's all about love, living in peace and respecting yourself and your neighbour. But as time passes, the teacher leaves their body and then the teachings are carried on by the disciples and the disciples of those disciples and so on. And sometimes the disciples down the line may not be of the same vibration as the original teacher was and so they may not be capable of holding the same essence of unconditional love as their teacher did. It takes only one weak link to destroy a chain. In the absence of unconditional love, sublime and amazing teachings can be twisted. Later, it can be hard to untwist them again, and it brings a lot of judgment and a lot of pain. If the inner experience is not clear, distortion seeps in. Like the whispering game played by children, what's said at the beginning of a message sent round a group, whispered from one ear to the next, may or may not be exactly what's handed down the line. Even when the widespread use of writing commenced, the problem hasn't really gone away. The written teachings are sometimes recorded hundreds of years after the event, and with written teachings there's an equally large problem with distortion because of the limitation of words and the nuances that are lost when religious teachings, scriptures or spiritual teachings are translated from one language to another. The interpretation can sometimes be limited to the consciousness of the person who's doing the translating. Levels of truth really do depend where we ourselves stand in our own consciousness. If we got run over by a car at a pedestrian crossing, it would be true to say that this occurred because of the fault of the driver of the vehicle. As a pedestrian on a crossing, at least in Australia, we have the right of way. If we move our consciousness outwards, we can take into account what's happening in our energy field, in our karmic grace bank account, in our conscious and subconscious mind, and even in our astrological profile. If at some time in the past we have badly injured someone who was innocent, then we're likely to get badly injured while innocent as well. Innocence in this instance is seen in an immediate physical dimension and worldly sense. The fact that we can't remember injuring someone or that it might have occurred in another lifetime doesn't mean that there's no reason for this to happen. A higher level of truth as to why we were run over while innocently crossing the road at a pedestrian crossing may have to do with your ancient history. It's true to say that we can find a causal chain of events that gives rise to most events in the physical world. Think of this situation. Sally left the window open at her home and someone came in and stole her television set. At another level of truth... How did the thief know to be in her neighbourhood on the one day of the year that Sally forgot to lock her window? One can believe in random chance, 
or one can believe that there are actually larger levels of truth going on. If we have a belief that the world is not a safe place, that there's burglars everywhere, we'll attract a thief to make our version of truth seem real to us. This event is an astral or mind creation. It's not absolute truth. The world isn't just full of burglars everywhere. But our own truth, which is created by the fears in our mind. Another person may experience the exact same physical world event. Someone comes and steals their television in their home. But the cause might be quite different. They might feel very safe. And their thoughts around safety might be very strong but they might be holding a karmic legacy of having stolen from people in the past. If we've stolen from people, even though we can't remember, sooner or later this has to balance itself and so those people will be stolen from. Thus the same event, a house break-in, may have a different level or cause of truth underlying it, depending upon deeper things in the situation. Levels of truth can be like smoke, They're not rigid. They may not seem solid, but they're certainly real. Anyone who's seen or smelt smoke knows that that's real. It's so real it can even kill you. However, it dissipates and looked at from a greater perspective, it's not there. Wait a couple of minutes and it's gone, it's changed. And truth is like that. There's always a greater truth sitting behind any apparent truth. Thus, the truth that we comprehend is only true at our own level of development, at our own level of spiritual mastery. As we grow, we have access to higher truth, which may at times be quite different and even diametrically opposed to truths that exist at a lower level. From one vantage point, we might look like we're the innocent victims, but from another level of truth, actually, you know what? We created this reality ourselves by our own previous actions. To grasp this higher level of truth, we need to be mentally flexible so that we can be open to it. In Sanskrit, the word for truth that is eternal is sat or satya. The only things that are regarded as true in that system is things that never change. Thus, the nature of infinite consciousness itself is true, But nothing in the physical world can be satya because it will always change. Even rocks and mountains will weather and erode. Nothing in the mind, our thoughts or emotions, is satya because soon we'll be thinking or feeling something different. Even our soul is evolving and growing at one level. The spark of oneness, the life force within us called atma, that is satya. Our job then is to come into ever-increasing awareness of our Atma, of the truth within. This vast truth of light becomes Chit, which is expanded consciousness, and also Ananda, which means bliss and love. So truth is one and is beyond our mind and speech at this level. It transcends the limitations of time and space. And innumerable seekers have pursued different paths to recognize this truth. There are notable differences among the seekers of truth, but these differences don't affect the nature of the ultimate truth. On the contrary, it is the existence of these differences 
that has spurred the continuous search for a unifying principle. Over time, we come to recognize that all things we see around us in the physical world, other than nature itself, which is created by infinite consciousness, and all of the beliefs and relationships that we have are a product of mind. The experience of today is the belief and thought form that created yesterday. Truth changes as we change our minds about it. Facts are usually no more than circumstances upon which a collective has agreed. In certain circumstances, simple facts can generate a variety of opinions from independent bystanders, such as, did the brown car or did the blue car cause the accident? One witness thinks the blue car was over the middle line and the other witness says, no, 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 it was the brown car that was in the wrong place. And each one's telling the truth as they perceived it. If humans have such trouble with simple factual matters like these, which are litigated in courts around the world every day, then how on earth can we navigate our way through more esoteric issues such as how do we create our reality by thinking? or become spiritually self-aware. If you believe that men are selfish, you will pull selfish men towards you. If you believe women are stupid, you will draw to you stupid women, or you will see stupidity in even the most skilled and intelligent women. If you change your belief to one that says, men are wonderful, kind and generous people, or women are smart, then your experiences will change. If you start to use affirmations for this purpose and they don't work instantly, don't be alarmed, just keep going, keep using it. It takes quite a long time to turn a ship that is going full steam ahead in the ocean. A lot of pressure has to be put on the rudder to turn the ship. The ship does not turn as soon as the rudder is turned, but it continues on its old course for a while before it starts to come around because of its momentum. So it is with us and the choices we make. We have to allow for the old thoughts we are already carrying to dissipate and we have to keep leaning on the rudder of the mind using affirmations consistently to turn the ship of our own beliefs and make our life go in another direction. If someone loses contact with what's occurring in the physical world, we call them delusional or schizophrenic or something. And that's the result of a broken energy field and often there are other unpleasant realities present which are tormenting the person. This is not an example of using the mind to create another reality. This is an example of someone who's not well and has lost track of the physical world and I'm not talking about that. That's not mastery. We can keep in touch with the physical reality without believing that what we see is the only possibility for our life. We can know that what is going on around us uh, is caused by our thinking for the rest of our life, the things in the past, and at the same time we can affirm a different reality, the one we might prefer for our future. And this takes work and application, and it's leaning on the rudder to make the ship of life change course. Let's have a little think at the moment about the nature of fundamentalism. A fundamentalist of any faith, creed or dogma is someone who interprets their path in a concrete way as the only legitimate possibility. 
Through the writings and habits, they literally believe their way is the only legitimate path to progress. They often believe other paths to be not only ineffectual, but possibly also evil. Fundamentalists don't perceive any shades of meaning or nuance, but insist upon their interpretation of reality being adopted. Very often this level of truth involves forcing others to their point of view. If we're able to look back through our many lives, we'd be able to find instances where we behaved in quite a fundamentalist way. Even in this life, most of us can probably identify times when we're very dogmatic, at times aggressive, about the things we believe. Learning some tolerance and patience with each other is an evolutionary journey. One of the reasons fundamentalism can be useful is because when people are first on a spiritual journey, fear can be a stronger motivator than compassion. For someone who's leading a wild, self-centered, violent, irresponsible kind of existence, a fundamentalist spiritual faith may serve to tame that and more it might be more useful than an open and compassionate kind of path because they might take advantage of that. And so for them, it's a path that meets the nature of the individual. People may need the inflexible structure of a fundamentalist path because otherwise they'd wander off and not receive any spiritual education or advancement. So for someone who is becoming spiritually self-realized, it's better not to judge another person's path, but to recognize that people choose the path that's right for them in accordance with their karma. One can't enter an exalted and sublime, inclusive of all spiritual path unless we have the grace to do so. Great masters pray for people of all spiritual grades, knowing that everyone is reaching for the highest and the best in the way that they can. Souls, pretty much like children, can be young in terms of experience of life on earth, or they can be much older. Old souls have been on earth so often that they've had more chance to learn things than younger souls. Eventually, through enough lives and experiences, young souls get to be old souls, just as the preschooler of yesterday is the elder of tomorrow. Do we love our younger children any less than our more accomplished older children? Of course not. If souls are in spiritual kindergarten, they don't want to be bothered with advanced refinements and concepts that are not yet of any relevance to their consciousness. As we grow in mastery, we cultivate the discernment to only share truths that are relevant to the people who are hearing them. To do otherwise leads to anger and confusion, to resentment, and a retreat into the old way of thinking. Some people are not open to new learning and to expanding their outlook or to learning from the wisdom of others. So each level of human awakening requires different forms of spiritual or religious instruction and the master doesn't really ignore any of them. The master doesn't become stuck in dogma and yet acknowledges that for some people that's an important part of their life and it holds some people in place during classrooms of learning for them. Developing our own internal empowering code of conduct is something we can't ignore in the process of maturity and it's of primary importance to the proper development of our ego. 
Each of the religions has given the world a moral code. Even so, some practice their faith at a very basic and authoritarian level, and others practice at a very exalted level. If we've been in one of the fundamentalist kind of basic levels, where there's a lot of fear and judgment, which would have been essential somewhere in our past, eventually we have to climb up and let go. Just like a physical ladder, we can't climb up if we won't relinquish our hold on the last rung of the ladder. And we also can't skip too many rungs of the ladder without becoming unstable and falling off. Higher spiritual learning is reasonably irrelevant and may be incomprehensible to someone who's still struggling with not stealing or who is still using violence to solve their disputes. It would be like using a fine-grained sandpaper to build a French-polished table when you were only up to the part of the process where you had to chop down a big tree to get the wood. You don't need refinement at that stage. You need a chainsaw. Everyone has to go to primary school before they can go to high school. It's no different in spirituality than in any other discipline. The people of the world are as diverse energetically and mentally as they are physically. Each soul is different and each person has their own memory bank of experiences. Human beings are, by nature, tribal. We're mammals. Our sense of who we are will generally be understood in reference to tribal concepts or herd concepts, tribal values, including cultural heritage, the way of perceiving life, our thoughts about the universe, and social codes. We generally resonate with our tribe. In the past, that tribe may have been based upon the village in which we lived or the clan from which we came. Each religion could be described as a tribe. Or tribalism can be national. Uh, and each race tends at times to think that it's superior to any other race. The world has now become in many respects a global village and notions of tribe are changing. Uh, mobility has allowed for family members to be spread far and wide. Cities can be anonymous places and we can feel quite isolated and alone. Our tribe might become the local tennis club or the church or work or our profession or any other group of which we're a member. The need to belong to a tribe is seen in all kinds of situations, sporting teams, uh, street gangs even. We love having an identity with a group of people. We like to hold similar values, beliefs, aspirations, fears, prejudices, and preferences. Spiritual masters have more ability than the average person to think beyond their own personal tribe and to embrace the entire tribe of humanity. While a master might embrace the entire human race in their love and desire for wellness, peace, and prosperity, they can really only directly serve the members of their own tribe. The energy and grace of a spiritually self-mastered person is distributed to the world through love. And love is like a substance that flows from one heart to another and connects everything, just like our blood connects everything in our body. Where there's love, the master is able to give guidance and assistance, even if they're in a different part of the world from the people that they're serving. When the student lovingly calls and meditates, the master can answer even when they're not present physically. Uh, without love from the master to the student and the student to the master, there is no pathway through which this can happen. 
This relationship is the foundation of the tremendous assistance and guidance and protection of a master, spiritually speaking. I knew a woman who was in a car accident. One dark night she was driving home along a winding forest road, doing about 90 kilometres per hour when she lost control of her vehicle. As she ran off the road, she called out her master's name and she experienced a force that yanked the wheel out of her hands and the car squeezed its way through many large gum trees, any of which may have killed her had she hit them. She came to a total stop without a scratch on her body. She knew that something had just intervened and yet the physical body of her teacher was at home in bed. This woman was able to receive the help of the spirit of the teacher because of the love that they had. If there hadn't been that love, there would not have been an avenue through which that help could have come. This is difficult to understand if we approach life from a purely physical and logical perspective. However, when we're open to the reality of love and actually practice devotion, many things that seem impossible or miraculous can actually happen. Because tribes are at different levels of consciousness and vary when it comes to being open to new ideas and progress, many different kinds of self-mastered people are needed so that each tribe can be served. We need a variety of spiritual teachers and spiritual masters so they can reach people where they're at right now and help them to the next place. And this is an infinite progression. The master is usually imbued with the colour and flavour of the tribe and because of the deep understanding they have of the culture and beliefs of their own tribe, they're able to gently lead the entire tribe a little closer to higher consciousness. They understand the culture and morality as it currently exists and can have a beneficial influence upon it. And if they didn't understand those factors, their their work would be less successful. The human race is evolving. In another thousand years, we may be far more refined than we are now. We will need more refined and advanced, self-mastered people at that stage to be leaders. If those spiritual masters were teleported into our current world, we mightn't be able to understand them properly. Their world of experience would be completely different from ours. We wouldn't have much in common. People find the sacred in a myriad of different ways, and masters appreciate this. Some find it in churches or synagogues or temples, and some prefer being out in nature. No two people share the exact same path. Even people in the same faith who attend the same spiritual institution will have some different ideas and experiences on their way to infinite unity. In any tradition, you'll find some people who are able to merge with the infinite in bliss and surrender and a vast majority who are still learning to do so. There are those who use spiritual practices or go to church just because, well, that's how I was brought up, Um, but they never have any kind of big experiences and they don't believe in those things anyway. They just feel guilty if they didn't do it. And so they get a bit of strength from the repetition of stories that contain moral teachings and they like being part of a spiritual community. They might be sitting alongside someone who's got a very deep and very incredible faith and for whom cosmic consciousness is actually part of their life. There are some who claim that all knowledge is contained in their holy book and that the words of the book ought to be taken literally. But I feel that reality is 
too big to fit into any book, no matter how wonderful that book might be. One set of spiritual or religious teachings is insufficient to get all of us who are living on earth back to our spiritual home in oneness again. And so all of these things are a finger pointing the way to the way home. Holy scriptures are of fundamental importance to people. If we're prepared to be humble and read the scriptures while connected in a meditative sense to our soul, we can access all kinds of different levels of understanding and potentially a higher level of truth than perhaps the literal interpretation might provide. The higher levels of truth will always contain a lot of love. The scriptures of all traditions can be used as a means to formulate questions as well as provide answers. I've found that when we ask heartfelt questions of the universe, sooner or later we find the answers. And the answers will depend on the level of development of the person doing the asking. So as we grow, our concept of our potential and the potential for all of life tends to grow. If we've done a lot of inner work and we're not too attached to what we want the answer to be, a whole lot of different sorts of things can be revealed to us. So one could say, read that way, that a book of scriptures is a key to all kinds of knowledge and potential revelation, not because of what's written on the pages, but because by meditating on them, we go through them to a whole world of possibility. Imagine that each approach to spirituality is like a well, and each well has its own set of rules, guidelines for right living, beliefs about how the earth was created, what happens when you die, and everything. As our consciousness changes and grows, we might need to search for answers that are more satisfying to us than what, you, what we've been told about before. We can search deeper at the well that we were born in or we can search for other wells. There are big wells and small wells and all the people who belong to the same religion are gathered around the same well. And that well is an access portal to the infinite, symbolized by the water in the well. And each well can bring the most amazing water. The well we choose to be nurtured from is a matter of personal preference. Some wells create gushing water, while others there's only a trickle comes out. There's no rush to become one with universal consciousness. We actually have all eternity in which to do that. Whether we want to proceed quickly or slowly is a matter of personal development and choice. Contact with strong energy of the universe is generally life-changing. And many people are so enchanted by their lives that they don't want to risk anything changing. They prefer to focus on the physical world. And so they only want a little tiny trickle of that infinite water to come into their life, to remind them of right action. They don't want the big experience. But other people just want the full thing. And this can be achieved at any well, even where there isn't a lot of divine energy coming in, but it can be easier to move to a different well where the flow is stronger. In the end, it's all the same. It's all the same infinite consciousness wherever we go. And we have reincarnated through time as members of just about every race and every religion. Ultimately, the divine experience 
can only be had internally. In a sense, we are our own well. Let's get in the groove, shall we, spiritually speaking? Think of the many kinds of music that exist. Think about what it's like when we hear a band that's really going well, it's really in the groove, musically speaking, creating a soundscape that's skillful and alters us emotionally. If we prefer rock music, we might be able to appreciate the groove of a symphony, but it doesn't really do it for us. We just want to stick with rock music. Each tribe creates a groove towards the at-one-ment, the universal consciousness, and a set of practices and beliefs that helps them to achieve healthy community relationships, healthy partnerships, greater levels of happiness and appreciation. Ultimately, find what suits you and get in the groove that moves you towards love and peace and happiness. Spiritual masters can find inner bliss and inspiration pretty much anywhere. They're not limited by tribalism or cultural phenomena or particular religious rites or rituals. They find it where they are, in whatever class, in whatever way spirituality is being expressed around them. And it doesn't mean they blindly accept everything that's taught because they're discerning. A master has accurate perception of the level and purpose of the group and would appreciate it for what it has to offer. There are times that our soul is learning about discernment and one of the classrooms that we get put in is delusion and it's certainly a class no one volunteers for to experience about discernment through experiencing delusion but sometimes we can find a spiritual group that looks great from the outside but when we get in and spend a few years getting to know it all we realize it's just the wrong place for us and then we tend to blame them but actually you know it might be something to do with our own karma as well because maybe we're learning about accurate perception. The people who have poor karma tend to find poor teachers. They might look good initially, but over time we realize, hmm, they don't practice what they preach. If a master of refinement who's capable of bringing people to enlightenment is found as our teacher, then you should know you've got very, very good karma. How do you know where where you should be or who you should be with? Well, I think it's what you're drawn to. It's really your heart guides you. The clearer and cleaner we can make our heart centre, the better we'll be at discerning where should we be. Over time, we might find it advantageous to move groups uh, because we might outgrow some of the early groups we're in. When we're assessing a spiritual group with thoughts of joining, It can be very useful to look not only at the teacher but at the teacher's lifestyle and morality because it's said that no good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And that's a quote from Luke in the Bible. Look at the students and see how they conduct themselves in any particular school. Look at the senior students who ought to have embodied the teachings and be able to recount circumstances where they've found the teachings to be effective. 
The idea is not to be critical of anyone's path, but to focus instead on living our own path with excellence and tolerance, humility and grace. Sometimes I think that we can see something as evil, but often it's the good we've outgrown. That which helps us for a while may not help us ultimately. We're better off when we put more love and less judgment into appraising others. So how do you leave a spiritual school and how do you do that well? If we feel that we've outgrown a spiritual group or tribe, then it may or may not be appropriate to move on depending upon our reasoning. The group we're leaving might resist us going. They may think we've gone a bit weird and they might see us as having failed to embody the teachings that they had to give us and possibly they're right. We have to be humble and willing to really look within because there are times when we do run away instead of remaining and learning what it is that we're just on the brink of. The ego does project our failings and shortcomings onto other people. And this brings us back to that statement of our self-esteem, I'm fine, but the group isn't. And that can be delusional. We can only have accurate perception when we stay long enough to find the beauty in the group and leave with love and gratitude when our heart tells us to. When we continue to honour and love our past teachers, even when we've outgrown them, we can be pretty sure that this is a genuine case of needing to find a higher group consciousness. If we leave a group and complain and condemn all the time, talking to anyone who will listen about the faults and failings of the last place, There's probably stuff we need to clean up about that and it could be that we're actually running away from something important. Always leave a group and its level of truth with as much love as you can and with gratitude for what you've been taught because nothing's all good and nothing's all bad. So take the good with you when you go. We have to move uh, from one class to another. Going to fifth class, you have to bring with you what you learnt in first class and second class and third class. The world needs all of these grades and there's nothing wrong with them. Diving in and out of spiritual groups can be like being on a big merry-go-round, visualising the colourful painted horses going up and down on the golden poles, round and round they go. Imagine the horses don't just bob up and down a little bit, but they disappear right up and below as they go and they all look pretty. They all have their appealing characteristics, but we like some more than others. We get sick of one horse that seems to be going nowhere, so we leap onto the back of another. But is it going up or is it going down? We won't really know for a little while. Those who suffer from spiritual pride will insist that their down horse is going up, even when it's obvious to everyone else that it's not true. People who are humble or devout, whose hearts are pure, they get uplifted. We might get on a horse and just feel uncomfortable about it, If so, get off. No one says you've got to stay. There are many paths. While every spiritual master is here to help humanity, each plays a different part in the overall plan of bringing love and peace to earth. It's like a huge jigsaw puzzle with so many pieces. And each one of the spiritually self-mastered people takes the knowledge of humanity a little bit further on based on a foundation of what's been taught in the past. Some spiritual masters might specialize in teaching a particular thing like love or Lord Buddha taught the middle way. Uh, 
some of the Shaivite uh, teachers in India really focus on transcendental matters, austerity and transcendence. And some other teachers are all about how to live in a cultured and civilised society and are more worldly in their outlook, bringing beauty and the spirituality of the inner world into the structures and organisation of earthly life. So the emphasis is different in different spiritual tracks you might be on. But the cosmic origin of each approach is still real. Some masters teach us about new modes of healing. Some might teach transcendence or music as a way of self-realization. And others are bringing forth teachings concerning really strict discipline, martial arts and the virtues that surround that. And others are here to embody and teach pure devotion. Masters, being more conscious than most, are able to download teachings from the cosmos that support their work. Because they're so skilled and clear, they're able to access information just from nature. They're able to intuit new information from the limitless light and to understand, embody and teach us new things that are very helpful. They're able to do so in a form that can be digested and absorbed by their students to change their consciousness and help them in their life. But you know, this doesn't mean that masters know everything. They can tune in, but mostly they intuit what's relevant to their own worldly service. They receive guidance relative to the job they have to do and the people, culture, setting and time in which they've incarnated. One of the spiritual laws, the law of economy, ensures that they're not bombarded by a whole lot of facts that would be irrelevant to their mission or their capacity to help their students to learn. Nevertheless, masters are still masters, even when they have different skills from one another. And as we've discovered, there are many kinds of mastery because there are many different kinds of people in the world and many different kinds of needs as well. Masters come in all shapes, sizes, genders and races and they have different specialities as we've seen. They work in seemingly different ways but on the inner part they're all working to the one huge plan of evolution of consciousness. And as our own inner mastery starts to become established, that will be unique as well, unique to us. And even though it will embody loving kindness, understanding and humility, service, devotion and more, it will be our addition to all that is. So to summarise, the self-mastered person understands there are many paths and levels of truth and strives to teach and live the appropriate level for the development of those they're teaching. When all the different tribes and types and streams are put together, it creates the wonderful diversity of possibility and choice that life here on earth offers. So what would be the highest aspirations for us to have with this hallmark of spiritual self-mastery? For me, the first thing is, the understanding that the Tao is everywhere, that we should respect all paths of the Tao, and to meditate on the relative nature of truth and how truth can vary according to where you stand. Another aspiration is 
finding some similarities with people who have different backgrounds, maybe they're from a different culture or have different traditions to what you do. Another one is to see truth as a function of consciousness and to know that it's going to grow as we do. And another aspiration is to honour our previous spiritual traditions and previous spiritual teachers, even when we're moving on. So what are some of the pitfalls that we can find in this area? I suppose there's many. Uh, But believing our way is the only way is really the main one. And judging people from other traditions in a blanket kind of way is really a bit of ego projection. You might want to look at that one. Thinking that our own beliefs and the physical experiences that they generate are absolute truth. That's not going to go well. Uh, Lacking respect and gratitude for teachers from the past. And another pitfall is just fear that others won't accept the path that we've chosen. And because we hold that fear and our mind is full of those kinds of thoughts and beliefs, it tends to generate that people then do give you negative feedback even when you're perfectly happy. So there's some practices that we can do to support ourselves in growing in mastery in this area. And the first practice is tolerance and understanding um, and finding the good in any, in, in any group there's going to be some good. Next, know when it's time for us to leave a tradition that we've outgrown and to look back with love. Another practice is and to follow the teachings of your chosen path. So not just saying I'm on this path but doing the practices because otherwise you can't really say that you've worked that path unless you do the meditations or the spiritual practices or whatever it is that the path involves. Another one that can be fun is when you're traveling to different places in different cultures, just try visiting different churches or spiritual groups and see how you feel and try and find the good everywhere. Trust your own heart rather than anyone else's dogma and sometimes to get the most out of our faith of origin, occasionally we need to go on a journey to visit all kinds of other things and then come back to our root in a way that will be richer than it ever was before. So you can develop this truth has many layers concept by staying in the one tradition or by leaving, by leaving and not coming back, by leaving and coming back. There's so many ways to do it. But at the end of the day, we ask to be guided in the right direction to finding the best teacher and a path that's just right for us. So our request of the universe is that we cultivate the tolerance and recognition of the perfection of each path for those who tread that path and that we can realize ultimate truth, inner bliss, grace and love for ourselves. Namaste. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. Ali,